What's happening, you guys? This is Connie Morgan with the Free Black Thought Podcast. Today's guest is founder of Black Minds Matter, Denisha Allen. Denisha Allen is a senior fellow at the American Federation for Children and previously served as school choice and youth liaison to the Secretary of Education at the U.S. Department of Education. Denisha is a Florida Tax Credit Scholarship graduate and now sits on the board of directors for Step Up for Students. She received her master's degree in social work from the University of South Florida and bachelor's degree in interdisciplinary social science. Along the way, Denisha has become a national symbol for school choice, headlining events with elected leaders, including the former president, governors, members of Congress, and other advocates for school choice. Denisha has shared her story across the country and has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Examiner, and Fox News, among other outlets. In this episode, we talk about why we need to uplift black school founders, the problems with teachers unions, and why school choice is better framed as education freedom. Remember, there is no such thing as a black perspective, just black people with perspectives. You're listening to the Free Black Thought Podcast. Denisha, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Free Black Thought Podcast. You are the founder of Black Minds Matter, so of course this is going to be an education-heavy episode where we talk about the ins and outs of what's going on with the black population in America and education problems that you are trying to fix and address. But before we get into all of that, let's first just give our listeners a little bit of your personal story. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, how you grew up, your education, and how you landed where you are today. Sure. Thanks, Connie, so much for having me on. A fan of what you guys are doing. And so I appreciate the opportunity to share more about Black Minds Matter. Uh, so yes, I, I always tell people I was thrust into this thing called education reform because I benefited from school choice, what we commonly call it. I like to reframe that to say education freedom. I failed the third grade twice because I couldn't read. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida on the east side and people from Jacksonville, we say out east. And the schools that I went to in my neighborhood were poor performing when I went there and they're still underperforming schools. I I should have probably dropped out of high school like my mom had, uncles and many, many members of my family, but that didn't happen. The only reason why it didn't happen, I do credit it to education freedom. In the sixth grade, I received a scholarship to go to a small private school and it changed everything. Like before then, I hated school. Teachers sighed when I walked through the door. I really saw no reason to go to school only for, so my mom wouldn't go to jail because she actually had gone to jail before for not sending us to school. And so when I started to go to this small private school on the north side of Jacksonville, I came into school with my guard up. I was ready to fight, to defend myself, uh, to, you know, get at anyone who was going to come at me because I was always having to do that. I was two years older than everyone in my class and I couldn't read. And so that was the norm. But I was pleasantly surprised that I that never happened. Teachers every single day from the moment I stepped foot into the to the school to the day I graduated greeted us with smiles and hooks. You know, even my peers, they never laughed or criticized me for the the way that I was, you know, reading or anything like that. I was I was welcomed so much so I went from making D's and F's to making A's and B's the first nine weeks that I got at this school. I really thought that I was a failure prior to then. I thought that I was just dumb and stupid. 
But in the end, I just realized that being in that setting, being in the the public schools that I was in was just not the right fit for me. Along the way, I began to share about my story. um, And personally, my, my siblings did not have the same opportunity that I had. They stayed within the public school system. And there are five of us. Only two out of five graduated from high school. And so I understand the importance of this issue firsthand. This is not something that's just, you know, a white paper or rhetoric. I've lived it. And so I I had the opportunity to continue on with getting involved in the policy to try to change the narrative around this issue And that's where Black Minds Matter came from. It came from my personal experience, but then it came from, you know, being just a worker in this space since then. So you got a scholarship, but you were, you had F's and D's. How did you get the scholarship? How did that work? How did it land on your lap? Yeah, so my godmother applied for the Step Up for Students scholarship in Florida. It's a tax credit scholarship, so it's not academic-based, thank goodness. (laughs) It's for lower-income students, uh, lower-income families, to be able to use uh, taxpayer dollars to go to whichever private school that they choose. And so my godmother, um, her church had just started a small private school and she wanted me to go. Her income was not that much, you know, higher than my biological family. She applied and I got, I got accepted and, and that changed everything. And so this type of scholarship program, there are many different forms across the country that we have, but the the particular one that I benefited from it's uh, funded based on donations. And so individuals can donate their, their uh, corporate, corporate uh, individuals can donate, individuals can, can donate and uh, their tax dollars at the end of the year to, for charitable donations. And that's how the scholarship is. They get a one-for-one tax credit and that's how they're able to to fund the scholarship. There are other different types. And so you have vouchers where the money actually come directly from the state coffers to families. And then the newest iteration is education savings accounts. And those dollars come directly from the state coffers. And those uh, monies, not they don't just have to be used on private school tuition. They can also be used on books, iPads, learning materials, tutoring, kind of the full whole around the rounded um, educational landscape for students. And so just not private school tuition. And that's that, that's my favorite because there's so much more to education than uh, paying for private school tuition. You know, um, to be able to get tutoring and extracurriculars paid for yeah. is such a treat. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. And then I'm assuming that those dollars could also be are those something that homeschool families can access? Yes. And so homeschool families oftentimes do take advantage of uh, choice dollars in order to pay for the learning tools that they need for their kids to pay for curriculum or things like that. There's a really cool new type of schooling called micro schooling, which is kind of I I, I like to call micro schools is like the laid back cousin of homeschool because, um, yeah, they'll take they'll take dollars from the government and uh, pick the different, you know, uh, 
types of models for their kids. They're kind of a hybrid between private schools and in homeschool. And so, yeah, they definitely take advantage of the, the dollars to help with their education. Okay. So that's, that's really interesting. And I don't, I don't know that I knew about that third, that education saving. So I'm going to have to look into that personally and learn a little bit more about that. It's really cool because now in states like Florida, where I grew up and in Arizona, Utah just passed a program and so did Iowa. So most of the programs in the country were passed for means, they were means tested programs. So you had to either be lower income, come from a lower income background or have a student with special needs. And those were the the thresholds, like the the gatekeepers. However, now we've seen that those those uh, it's becoming unlimited, and so now everybody in Florida and Arizona, Utah and Iowa, they've just passed universal school choice programs, education savings accounts, where anybody in the state, regardless of income, can take advantage of those dollars. Of course, everybody has their opinion about it, but I I I actually matured in my thought process because when I I took advantage of a lower income scholarship and at first I was like this should only be for folks who grew up like me only people who had a struggle academically and they can't pay for private school tuition at all but my thought process changed when I moved to DC I I went to DC and I worked for the U.S. Department of Education for Secretary DeVos and you know, black people were always like, oh, we get a leg up and we pull everybody up with us. And I brought my sister, um, my youngest sister, she's, she was three grade levels behind. And I moved her out to DC with me. I wanted her to get into a better school than the, I couldn't afford to live in like the best areas. And so I didn't want her to go to my neighbor, neighborhood school. And I couldn't afford private school tuition. Mm -hmm. And I made too much money to qualify for the DC scholarship. Yeah. That was when my pro- my thought process changed and I'm like everybody should have an opportunity to get something even if it's not the entire amount to get something to alleviate costs and barriers. Yeah, and I school choice and or academic freedom and I do think that's a better way to um, describe it is something that you know there's plenty of people that are against it, but I've never heard I've never heard a coherent argument against, I do not understand why people are against people, the dollars following the child essentially, right? Is what we're talking about. What are some of, what's some of the pushback that you hear and what do you, what, what do you say to people who are like, no, 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 We need to keep these dollars directly tied to public schools. And that's why the public schools are failing, right? It's because you keep taking dollars away. So don't take those dollars away. It's just going to get worse. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, there's so many arguments or myths, I would say, around the concept of education freedom that don't make sense. You know, one of the, the most popular myths around is that it takes money away from public schools. But that's that's not the case. And before, you know, I get into the weeds with people to say like, oh, that's not true and go into like the statistics and the nitty gritty policy, you know, things. I I really like for people to reframe their thinking and to understand that the money doesn't belong to public schools in the first place. Mm-hmm. The money does not belong to a building. It belongs to the kids. We've created a system in America where we're supposed to be funding kids to get a great education. 
And somehow we've reframed that to being funding schools. And that's where the more we think like that, the more popular um, the school choice, the conversation just becomes like, yeah, that's right. And so if we fund kids, then for kids to be able to take that money, regardless of what building they go to, that's a beautiful. You know, you can go to your homeschool co-op and send your monies there. You could go to a private school. You can go to your traditional zone school. You can go to a charter school or use those funds to go to a, to a virtual school. The opportunities are limitless and then we'll be able to kind of reframe what education looks like in this country because it is changing so rapidly. But then to the, to the real, you know, <laughs> nitty gritty details of it, the money does not uh, uh, come from um, or or a defund public education. If anything, uh, public schools are still receiving funds for the kids who are leaving their their doors. And so, um, if a kid leaves a public school to go to a to a private school, for instance, that public school is still getting the federal dollars um, for that child. And so those dollars are staying with the kid. They may have lost their state dollars, but they're still receiving the federal dollars, which is something I don't think. So that will probably be roughly like two to two to three thousand dollars that they're still receiving per kid. We don't see that happening anywhere in our systems. Food stamps is a very similar program to uh, scholarships for private school. And if a parent takes their food stamp dollars and decides that they don't want to shop at Walmart anymore, but they want to start shopping at Publix or Kroger, Walmart does not keep a portion of their food stamp right. dollars. Like they take all of it with them to a different grocery store. Um, but that's what's happening in with, with public education. We have a lot of money in the public school system, but no accountability for the academic outcomes for black kids. And that's where my heart is at. And I, I'm so tired of hearing about stories like in Chicago and in Baltimore, in Detroit, all all over New York, where the academic outcomes for black kids are so dismal there in California they just had like in 15 schools zero kids tested proficient in reading like what is going on however they're receiving like $22,000 per kid in the same is in, in Baltimore they're receiving $22,000 per kid and the academic outcomes for black kids are not there so money is not the issue it hasn't been for some time. Um, and when you compare that to two charter schools, um, to uh, private schools, students are doing way better academically than uh, they are in traditional public schools. And they're not receiving the same amount of funds. And so you have to scratch your head and kind of think, is it really the money? And the, the fact of the matter is it's not the money. Um, it's how we are using the money to provide a, a high quality education for kids. And um, our project, we highlight black school founders across the country and they're doing it. They're doing some very cool, innovative things, not just black school founders, but everybody who decided to be an education entrepreneur 
and have a different learning environment, they're coming at it in such unique ways that it's so cool to see. And um, from having schools in the metaverse, I mean, it's so many cool things that's happening. And so it's encouraging. It's encouraging. So I think we need more innovation and not less of it. Yeah, there's so many things I could ask you about all that you just said. But let's, let's actually go back to Black Minds Matter forming. Is this something, is this, did Black Minds Matter, did you form, did you create Black Minds Matter right after you graduated from high school or what's the time, like, like when, what was actually the literal catalyst for Black Minds Matter forming? I know you had your own experience, the way that you grew up in your education experience, but was there a gap in between when you finished up with your own schooling and then founded the organization or was there something that you said, okay. I'm involved in this world. I'm involved in education reform, but now it's my time to actually found my own organization. Yeah, that's right. So there was a big gap. So I graduated from high school, went to undergrad, graduated from grad school, went to D.C., worked for the U.S. Department of Education, came to the American Federation for Children, and then covid Yes. And that was what I feel like COVID really opened a lot of people's eyes. And I was no different. You know, I was not unique in that. And one of the things that was great about COVID and, you know, well, I shouldn't say great, but, you know, during that time in 2020, the murder of George Floyd happened and every body, every organization we were thinking differently. Like people were trying to figure out, like we are, we have racist roots in this country. How can we change that and give black people in this country a better life? You know, so we were canceling things. We were tearing down monuments. And one of the things that just kind of frustrated me and made me have to like scratch my head, you know, I'm scratching my head a lot in this conversation, but was why weren't we, so concerned about the academic outcomes for black kids. We there was not this big outrageous outcry for our babies in America's schools. And that kind of frustrated me. We canceled pancake and syrup. Like we canceled <laughs> pancakes and syrup. Oh, Jemima. But not the Yeah. And we everybody like even the uh ice cream for uh Juneteenth, like we were saying no to a lot of stuff and making a lot of moves. Like we were changing a lot of stuff as a nation, as a culture, as a people. And we had a great opportunity to do the same thing for the act for academic in, in education for black kids, but that didn't happen. And so of course, black minds matter is a play on names. It's a play on words. And our tagline is that our essence and our being deserve life. And so our, uh, I, I bottled up those frustrations in an op-ed, you know, you work in communications, I work in communications and, you know, we, first things we do is, you know, do things like that. And so I bottled up all those in an op-ed, it got published and I started to receive like a lot of feedback from people who read the article and was like, this is really cool. And I'm like, we've been saying this for so long, mm -hmm. like the education freedom movement, education reformers. I, this is not new, but the way that I was able to frame it was, I guess, new, which was it, but, uh, it was the first people had kind of, uh, heard about it. You know, we're typically used to talking about school choice in a conservative lens with conservative talking points. And, uh, 
I was just like, no, like the the talking points that we're using more progressive talking points to get a lot of things passed during that time of 2020 is the same type of talking points we need to be using or should be. We need to liberate black minds Mm -hmm. from the shackles of mental slavery. Like it is that serious and it's not something that's so, you know, hard for us to say. And so that, that received a lot of attention. And so we built out our website, we built out a small podcast, which we're no longer doing anymore, but Maybe we'll bring back, I don't know. <laughs> Podcasting is hard. <laughs> and so we are, we built that out. And then kind of based on my own experience, I realized that, you know, the, the Black school founders are kind of a, a head nod to our history in this country and to the education movement that we have today. And so we should celebrate them. We should find them. And so we launched the the directory on our website, we have the only directory of black founded schools. Right now we have about 450 schools that we found across the country. I'm sure there are so many mm-hmm. more out there. And so we're connecting with the school leaders, telling their stories, um, building a network, and really trying to just celebrate the different innovative things that they've done because their story is a direct, like, it just speaks to how great school choice is and it their very existence is like myth busting yeah. everything you know like they're black people who are business owners like we don't want to think of schools as businesses but they are entrepreneurs like they're starting education environments so that's a black owned business mm-hmm. you know like yeah it's great we highlight our black owned coffee shops and bookstores like all day long what about that black owned school yeah let's talk about them. And then that's a way where we can talk about school choice. We're talking about education freedom and and people are like, oh my gosh, you know, like they're so cool. Yeah, they're <laughs> yeah. cool. Let's talk about them. So yeah, I get a kick out of it. So um, in the directory, is there a performance requirement or is the only requirement to be listed on the directory that you be black owned? Because I think that's a wonderful thing. And like you said, it's so myth busting. People don't, think of black, you know, they don't think of schools as linked to entrepreneurism. People don't see a lot of black folks, I don't think in the media leading education charges, education reform. So I love all that, though. I do think of a recent example of, um, I don't think, I don't know that he owned the school, but LeBron James is, and it was a public school, right? That he was supporting, but it wasn't doing too hot. <laughs> the The results of that school were not uh, great, even though LeBron James was financially backing them. So is there any kind of performance requirement that is required on the uh, to be on the directory? No, there isn't. So it's solely a directory. Um, now, in our communications, we do choose to highlight and uh, give like great esteem to a video and we have a traveling art exhibit. So we add, we do make sure we're highlighting high quality yeah. schools and schools that are doing great work. Cause we, we don't want to highlight schools that are, you know, subpar or not where they should mm-hmm. be. Like they might be in a growth right. transitional phase. And so we do make sure that we do highlight those schools. But yeah, and, and there are a lot of schools to your point on the directory that's at different levels. They're serving different communities. They have different population sizes. We have 
great big schools with 600 students that's been around for 30 years and some small schools, micro schools that has like six or seven students that have been around for two years. And so the the diversity amongst the schools are very, very different. And but we, we don't do any quality um, testing. It's interesting at our last gathering of the school founders, they themselves were saying, hey, we should probably get together and like do a be a community auditing program like we can travel around to different schools us as peers you know go into some of our fellow schools and give them advice on things that they could do things to how they can be, do better because you're right the we're a reflection of one another so if there's one bad player the media is going to make it seem like that's yeah. everybody it doesn't matter how nuanced the differences are or but one bad player will, you know, just be a blanket statement for everybody. Yeah. And so that's something that I'm actually trying to figure out how we can be that conduit for this type of thing, because it would be a group of their peers, you know, saying, hey, this is how you could be better and not me, someone who's never operated a school and who just works in the area of policy. Like, who am I yeah. to tell what's quality or not and i think that that's something that speaks to another issue when we start to have policies it put in place to regulate these programs when no one almost at the policy level has ever run a school mm. hadn't stepped foot in a school since they were in grade school but they are going to create regulations and create these carrot and stick approaches to for schools that are new and that are ever changing and trying to serve kids. I don't think that that's right either. I think the approach that the school founders were are trying to um, initiate is something that could be really cool. And that's the direction that we should go when we're trying to talk about quality assurance, because it is important. We want to, our kids to be in high quality schools. Like if they were going to be in poor performance schools, they could have just stayed where they're yeah. at, you know, <laughs> like they need to have good schools. So we should figure out a way to do that, but not you know, where we're so... Do it in a way that, that makes sense and involves actual on-the-ground experts and not some higher power from above who doesn't know what they're talking about come in and start blowing stuff up just so they can get their next promotion or whatever. Just so they have something to put on their resume so they can they can move up the ladder. Exactly. Yeah, I totally get that. Um, and I know a lot of people have made this point um, that there was actually... During this, during segregation, when there was, you know, black schools and white schools, there was a lot of black schools that were actually performing better than white schools. And so there was actually even black folks that were, that didn't want to do away with segregation because they saw the writing on the wall and they were like, our schools are going to blow up when that happens, when we have to bring in different people and bring in different kids. We've got a good thing going here. Please don't mess with it. Yep. But of course we desegregated. And ultimately I think that was a good thing, but it did destroy a lot of these um, high-performing Black schools. Um, and so do you think that parents with Black children should should actually be looking for Black-owned schools and that because Black children do better at schools that are owned and operated by, by Black people? Or is it more just, hey, we're going to just promote our people doing well. If you can go to one of these schools, great. Find a great school and go to it. Or should you really be trying to find that Black-owned school? 
You know, I am, I, I'm going to say the latter. Yeah, I just want to promote and to show people where, like where they are, how kids are doing and the cool things that school founders are able to achieve. But to your first point, we do know based on study, based on statistics that black kids who are in front of a black teacher do better than students who are in front of a white teacher. Now, is that to say that students who are in front of white teachers are not? No, like, but we see that one kids who are who have black teachers, they're they fare better academically. And if that's a black man, they're doing better than a you know with a black woman in front of them. Mm-hmm. So think about that when you're like you got an entire school with a, a black a black founder, black administration, black teachers. Um, we we also we did a. We did a recent survey, and the survey can be found on our website, www.blackmindsmatter.net. We surveyed uh, our our school founders network, and I'm blanking on the actual number, but I'm just going to say more because it's true. We had more Black males teaching in Black-founded schools compared to traditional public schools across the country. Mm. So... Black-owned schools are employing more Black men to work in these schools than the... I mean, of course, there's a... Uh, you know, we, we, we should should compare that. there. Of course, there are more public schools than there are private schools. But on the same... That's amazing to have that where a Black kid is more likely to be in front of a Black male if they're going to an all-Black-founded school versus if they're going to a traditional public school. So... That's pretty cool. But I'm going to always champion for parents to choose the best school that works for their kid Um, and not necessarily a black founded school, but they should know that those are that it is the facts. You're going to get me going on the importance of of a black male role model in in a child's life. And I, I actually know just across the board that a lot of, you know, education experts try to encourage men in general just to be, uh, to teach those elementary school because male teachers tend to fo- to go to middle school and high school and not elementary school. Um, and that when men teach at elementary schools, the effect can be just crazy because so many kids don't have a father at home, black or white, right? And that's, an, that's another myth yep. too, right? That the fatherless problem is, is just unique to the black population. It's not, <laughs> a lot of kids out here yep. don't have their fathers around. So when, of course, you know, me personally, I don't want the government or even a private charter school to step in and be mommy and daddy. But if a child can get that positive male role model from a school, awesome. So that's really interesting that more that men, do, do you think it's that the, the black, why is that, that more black, are black teachers, black male teachers seeking out these black owned schools or are the black owned schools not as I don't know like what are they they are seeking out male teachers because they know the benefit of having these male role models what is it or is it kind of just a combination of the two well I think it so we did I had a panel of uh two school founders in Texas and this question came up and one um he graduated Cameron Frazier he's in Jacksonville Florida he has a school called Becoming Collegiate and it's an HBCU charter school. Um, and he had, they're the, the baby rattlers, or no, 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 sorry. They're teddy bears, but 
Uh, that's a different school. That's the baby rattlers. Anyway, anyway. Um, but <laughs> he went to an HBCU. So he recruited his teacher base and most of his teachers are men from his connections, from his network. Um, on the panel, we also had a Pasadena Rosebud School in California. She recruited most of her teachers word of mouth. And so I just think, I think it's the same type of phenomenon that happens, you know, at the HBCU level where there, there are all these um, articles that's constantly coming out. No one is new or surprising, but there was a recent one that came out that HBCUs are pumping out more doctor, black doctors and black lawyers, black engineers than PWIs. And so I think that's the same type of phenomenon that's happening at the K, K-12 level with black black teachers, black school founders, they're coming from the same, you know, network. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, pivoting a little bit, uh, your website says that you want to bring attention to the inequities in the education system that eerily resemble the institutional injustices of our criminal justice system. So in your opinion, what are the major injustices of the criminal justice system that are similar? Like what are the specific examples or statistics or however you frame it, that you draw these par- parallels from. Yeah. So we we often in the, I'll start with the education freedom movement, we reference the history of school choice back to Virginia, where when this is, this goes back to the myths conversation, people say they don't want to uh, support school choice because the history of quote-unquote school choice or giving scholarships to people to go to private schools was rooted in Virginia. And when Virginia desegregated, the state gave scholarships to white families so that they can put their kids in private schools so they would not have to go to school with black kids. Okay, that's so I'll leave that nugget there. The history of the criminal justice system is we we know based on Black Lives Matter movement and the the death of um, Black people in this country at the hands of police, it was set up to make sure that Black people didn't escape from slavery. And so that was our most early form of policing. We were, if someone, a Black person tried to escape from slavery, they were sent out to capture them and bring them back to their headquarters. Moving on to our modern day traditional public school system setting. Uh, The history of school in America was not for black people. It was not for us. Public school started for white boys and not even white women. You know, it was just for white boys in this country to be able to go to public school, not set up for black kids. And so I draw those parallels because I want people to understand that, you know, we we say that we are not going to support something because of the history that it has. But public schools, why are black people so glued to public schools? We have this, you know, like we did Brown versus Boer. So we got to stick with our public schools. Uh, But public schools never was meant for you in the yeah. first place. Like it was never set up for you to be successful. It was not for you. It even so after public schools c- came about, we had this system of public schooling, black people still weren't allowed to go to public schools. It opened up for white girls move we had our own schools to your point earlier Mm -hmm. 
we created our own schools. We had the one-room schoolhouse. We were educating ourselves during slavery, even before then. Then we moved to Brown versus Board. But some people, some schools did not. Uh, we have records where there were still independent schools. The Freedmen's Bureau went around from the federal government converting one-room schoolhouse independent schools to public schools because we still weren't able to be educated with white people. And not all of those schools converted. So we have this history. And so I, I, I know that we are very familiar with policing and how those injustices have continued. We know that policing was not set up for Black people in America. We are comfortable with that history. We want to think about things differently. We were even proposing to defund the police and to have our own system of criminal justice, something that's something that's new, parallel to the one that we have now, where it's community driven and we can create a, a you know, a criminal justice system for ourselves, be done with the one that we have today. Why not that same sentiment in education mm-hmm. when we've actually been able to do that? before we created our own we said that this system is not gonna take care of our babies so we created our own schools um we wanted that autonomy we wanted that freedom so i'm gonna draw a parallel now between the police and the teachers which is unions so you know the police union ends up protecting a lot of bad police officers and the teachers union Teachers union protects a lot of bad teachers. So what are you, maybe this is a little, I know it's controversial. People hate when you talk about unions, but what is, does Black Minds Matter have a position on teachers unions or do you work with oh, unions? Oh, absolutely. I do not okay. support them. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, you're right. And I did not even, oh, bring a brain fart. Yes. Like the teachers union, police unions. Yes, Connie, like. Absolutely. They're probably two of the most corrupt systems in America today. And we we allow them to be, mm-hmm. you know, like if I hear one more story of a police officer killing like there, I think in, in Georgia, in Akron or Cleveland, which are they're next to each other, a police officer killed a pregnant woman and he's on administrative leave administrative leave means he on he's on paid leave until they investigate and see if it was murder like what double murder first of all and teachers unions are no different there's story after story of of teachers i hate to be so graphic molesting Mm -hmm hitting it was just a story in georgia a teacher punched a kid in the chest Mm. and we are always talking about and it was a black kid well what did that kid do he must have been so unruly are you serious like excuse me i don't care if i'm like talking you your head off that's still a child then in that teacher he like he had multiple like um in his record this like wasn't the first cases. time this had happened it wasn't the first time something had happened however that's like you know putting your hands on a kid but let's talk about the school system of itself earlier we were talking about the the school 15 schools have zero kids proficient who's being held accountable for that and the fact is the teachers unions want those things to happen and 
I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. They uh, cahooted with President Biden um, to keep schools closed during the pandemic for two years. Schools were closed. We opened up businesses. We had to go back to work mm-hmm. and kids were still at home because they were saying it's not a, it's not safe. It's not safe for two years. And now we know that the teachers unions had persuaded President Biden to keep schools closed. And uh, it was up to it was up to in the Supreme Court. She had to testify before Congress and everything. And on Twitter, we she are you talking about? Are you talking about Randy? Randy Weingarten. Sorry. He's the president of the of the teacher union. And um, there was a email that Biden sent saying, you know, I'd rather keep schools closed than upset our national ally, the teachers union. Mm. It's, it's despicable to think that we have such deep seated corruption in, in this country. And our babies are the ones that are the political football yeah, and we're we're so up, we're so so nervous to upset the teachers union, to upset the the police union that we allow things to go untouched and unbothered. I'll also say like the National Black Lives Matter movement, sorry, they didn't take up the issue of education because they take money from the teachers mm-hmm. union. They got a lot of money from the teachers union during 2020 so they that was why one of the the issue of education was not proposed the anytime and that's why anytime the issue of education comes up it's always just give money just give more money to public yeah. school that's the always the only solution yeah it's really frustrating have you ever tried have you actually tried to work with BLM at all or or has it just been you use the play on words, but you don't have anything to do with them and never have tried to partner with them. No, I've tried. So we've, I've sent emails and letters requesting meetings and, uh, and, uh, phone calls, but I haven't gotten anything back yet. Even at the NAACP, uh, level, um, specifically in Maryland, sending letters to request a meeting, um, and haven't gotten anything back yet, but we're going to keep doing that because I think we should have, open dialogue but there is from there in no open dialogue yeah they're just too tied to the money i guess that they're that they're getting follow the money as they always say so a- another little um nugget that i saw on your website was our mission is to nourish black minds with a rich education by any means necessary and i think that the by any means necessary it might be a little bit spicy that's in there people might say hmm, what do they mean exactly by any means necessary does that mean if we're gonna are you saying if we need to segregate we'll segregate or like what do you what does that mean exactly that by any means necessary yeah i think yeah, by any means necessary like i don't care how we and that's something that i i believe sets black minds matter apart from some of the other um, national black serving education organizations is that the organization sets the standard for what they believe is the best means for a kid to get a high quality education. I don't care if a kid goes to a charter school. I don't care if they go to a private school. I don't care if they stay at school in their mom's house. I don't care if they go in there at the Creek every Mm -hmm. single day. And that's the school that they go to. 
I don't care. And so that we're we're agnostic by any means necessary. If there's a new innovation where Elon Musk is going to be flying kids up to the moon. (laughs) okay, let's get them into that school. You know, let's say but it's up to the parent. I'm not I don't care what it is. Um, Kids should be given that freedom. And so that's what we mean by any means necessary. And however we got to get there, if there's a policy that needs to be passed, if I got to go on media and say that XYZ organization is in bed with teachers unions and they're not doing what's best for our kids, whatever is going to move the needle forward. If I have to call out such and such or this or that, you know, and it's not it's not about political party either, you know, because in Georgia, the holdup is not the Democratic Party. The holdup are the rural Republicans. So what do I have to say to allow our babies in in Metro Atlanta or what do we have to do in order for all of our kids to be able to get a high quality education because someone's holding it up? And um, what's being held up in Georgia? What's being held up? So um, the scholarship program is not being able to be expanded because rural Republicans are are holding it up. They're saying basically, how is this going to benefit our kids out in rural Georgia? Because this is like an urban scholarship program. So they're, they're blocking it at the legislative level because they don't see how it might not how it might benefit rural kids and their largest employer is the, is the school mm. and their uh, communities. And so they're, they're blocking expansion of the program. And does the program, do the scholarships not, are they not available in rural areas simply because, or they're not really applicable there because they don't, they're, even if you were given school choice, there's just not a lot of schools. Like you kind of only have one school option when you're in a rural area versus the city has a million different schools that you can choose from. It well, it's the same argument to be honest. That's used in in the urban setting. They're saying that if another school opens up, then all the kids will leave from the public school and go to this private school or this charter school, and it'll defund their school. Um, it's it, it's always very interesting because it they're everybody always really admits that their school is subpar and if competition comes about that all the kids will leave because parents will want better for their kids so um but that's that's basically their argument in that the public school is their largest employer so what else, what's going to happen if this competition comes and disrupts things yeah yeah that is so revealing if you're so worried about a new school coming in because you know everybody's gonna leave your school because your school's failing the kids I mean shouldn't you focus on that before you worry about anything else that is actually pretty hilarious it's like a self-own when they're panicking over another school coming in and I actually grew up in a rural area where yeah this in my town my town was so like economically depressed that if you were a teacher you were like kind of wealthy for my town. You know, you were teachers in my hometown, like owned lake houses and stuff, (laughs) not like crazy huge ones or anything, but it was like a, the school was like the center of the town, large employer, the cultural center of the town, the entertainment, everybody went to every sports game. Mm -hmm. And so I could definitely see if that conversation came, you know, if that became a threat. But the, and then there's this concept of, 
if you're a rural town, like, oh, these big bad people are going to come in and start schools. But there's a, a wonderful story out of Florida. In rural Florida, a teacher started a school. She was a teacher in the public school and she started a small little uh, school. And that's typically who there are. It's the people who are of the community who are starting these small, you know, so it's not like a big KIP that's coming. Right. Like what, how is KIP going to be sustained in a small rural town? Like that's not who's coming to rural towns, opening schools. It's people in the community who are opening these, you know, small alternative learning environments. And to your point, at least with Black Minds Matter, you're not trying to enforce any kind of curriculum, which is a beautiful thing. So a rural town with a lot of kids that are, going to do future farmers of America and they have a lot of mechanics and blue collar people, they can do, they can design a curriculum that supports that. And black minds matter would be like, that's right. Great. As long as the kids are getting the skills they need in order to succeed in the education that they need in order to succeed, we don't have a problem with it. Do what you want. It's your, it's your children. It's your community. And it's, it's really just short sighted, right? To think that, oh, I am however many miles away from Atlanta. What do I care what happens there? When actually like culture, you know, whatever is going on in Atlanta, whatever is going on in your urban hubs is going to trickle out to the rural communities. You're going to go to those cities when you want to go to a ball game, when you want to go to the airport, when you want to take your wife out for a fancy date night or whatever date weekend away. Don't you want the people in those areas to be educated and informed and articulate too like it's gonna affect you so it's just very short-sighted and maybe they they're short-sighted because they're not getting a good education <laughs> it's a self exactly. it's, a, it's a vicious cycle right they can't think ahead because they're not getting a good education but then uh exactly. prevents them from from changing things up so i guess i've kind of you you and i have kind of answered this question already because black black minds matter you're not interested in and it's not really your goal down the road either to help create curricula curriculum. That's right. So I know we're not in the business of drafting curriculum, creating curriculum, or even anything that happens inside of the school, uniform policies or anything like that, the implementation, that's all implementation. More before, and I think there is room for that, but I would want to figure out a way to support the people who are experts in that stuff to do it. And so another conversation or a thing that happened out of that meeting that I mentioned before at the beginning where at the, at our last summit, the school founders themselves were talking about, can we have a directory of resources or a directory of like, things that we use like contractors curriculum mm. guides yeah uh seo was a big component of the conversation and they were talking amongst themselves what do you use what do you use that's something that i would support yeah. that's something that i think would be very important because that's not me saying hey you should be teaching this yeah this is like a group of peers saying this is what i use mm-hmm. what do you use yeah yeah this is what we do what do you do and i think that's more important um, because we see we, across the country where we have from the top down telling schools, telling people what they should teach, what they shouldn't teach. And to be honest, we're not a monolith. Like, you know, black people are not a Preach. monolith and we shouldn't be trying to t- tell people what we what we are blanketly. You know, like I mean, there's a 
Kind Academy in Miami. They are a small micro school. They're at the beach. They're they got chickens. <laughs> they have all of these things, and they're not the same setup as um as Legends Charter School in Maryland. Right. Legends Charter School in Maryland is a financial based. A curriculum. They every kid by the second grade has a stock account. Like, who am I to go in and say, "Hey, you should be teaching X, Y, Z" when they are on completely different, you know, sides of of the of the education aisle? And so, I think that's what we, in order for innovation to continue to, you know, flourish, we have to not do that. We can't yeah. dictate what people sh- what people should do because to be honest it's up to the it's up to the parents the schools that nobody wants they won't have any kids yeah. and they'll go out of business yeah. you know the same happens in neighborhoods there might be a, a a restaurant that opens and they think that oh it's gonna be great greatest thing ever they don't get any business and what happens like unfortunately they shut down or they move to someplace where their business is actually you know, more marketable. That's the type of stuff that should be happening in education. I hate to be so, you know, economic about it, but if a public school is not doing what's right for kids, they should be shut down. Yeah. yeah. They should close down or change, mm-hmm. you know, like we have so many now magnet schools, so many specialty based schools, arts. Yeah. Uh, and uh math science schools that's the direction where we should be moving toward not just oh everybody's teaching the same thing everybody's doing the same thing well what about that kid who wants to get a weld who wants to be a welder Mm -hmm. like is anybody going to teach him how to do that or he he got to wait until he graduates from high school in order to to do that so no, I think all of our schools should be so diverse, so cool and interesting where kids will just be knocking down the doors to go. But unfortunately, a lot of our schools are just commonplace yeah. and uninteresting. And kids don't want to be there. I wouldn't want to be there. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think it's really wise to not really, you know, put all your eggs in one basket when it comes to curriculum or like a education philosophy. Because I think Roland Fryer the Harvard economist has studied this and he's found that really it doesn't matter what kind of all kinds of different curriculums can be successful as long as you're doing certain things within those curriculums. So like, as long as you are holding teachers accountable, as long as you are checking in on students and making sure they're hitting, you know, whatever standards they need to be hitting, as long as there's some kind of discipline and order in the school, it doesn't matter if it's a music based curriculum or financial or, you know, agricultural or whatever they can all be successful. So that's really smart. Um, and that that's, that's something that I, I'm biased. Florida's Florida has the largest choice program in the country and a lot of research has been done on it, but um, they found what there was one white paper that talked about parent satisfaction and why they decided to choose that particular, the, you know, a choice school for their kid. And it was not academic. <laughs> the first uh, reason was not, oh, because I want my kid to get a better education. You would think that that would be the number one driving factor, but no, it was culture. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, culture. It was safe environment. Yeah. And those were the top two. I forget what the third one was, 
but the number one was not academics. And so I think that that's something that we, you know, we want our kids to be in a high quality academic environment, but there's so many other things of why parents want their kids to be in a different school too. Yeah. And that's, that's actually one of my bugaboos or pet peeves too, with education too, is that like, sure, I want my kid to be, to be well-educated. If they want to go to college, I want them to be prepared to go to college. But ultimately my goal as a parent is to raise good humans, (laughs) good humans who are good people, who are reliable, who are trustworthy. And the culture of their education environment plays a huge role in that because you can be super smart and still be an asshole. So I would rather have the good, my child grow up to be a good person and not have a PhD, you know, versus they have every letter behind their name, but nobody can stand to be around them and they've been divorced twice and you know, all this. So anyways, that's, that's my little, you know, uh, that's my stance and, and education or my thing that I'm always preaching when I'm get on my soapbox. Anyways, we're creeping up on an hour because gosh, this topic is so big and so interesting. I'm fully invested in it as a, as a parent myself with little kids, I could go on and on and on, but we will start to wrap things up here with you and hit you with these, um, the, the quick fire questions, you try to answer them as fast as you can, though some people take their time. It's, you know, no pressure or anything. These are just for fun, kind of for people to get to know you in a silly way a little bit better. So are you ready for your 10 questions? Yeah, let's do it. Number one, are dress codes a good thing? Personally, I went to a uniform school and I absolutely loved it. And I tried to pick an occupation where I could wear a uniform. It didn't work out for me, but (laughs) I liked the uniform policy. How many times have you been in love? Uh, Twice. What's the best book you've read this year so far? Mom's on Call. (laughs) I have a one-year-old and Mom's on Call really helped to get my baby sleep trained so okay okay i'm gonna have to check that one out myself then um mlk or malcolm x oh my gosh malcolm x and fun fact about me so i just left nebraska um and did the self-determined pop-up exhibit at the malcolm x center and really changed my perspective on the non-violence versus you know the the malcolm x movement And I think I'm leaning more toward Malcolm. And MLK himself in his last years was more Malcolm X too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does pineapple go on pizza? No. What is the biggest issue facing Black America today? A good education of their parents' choice. What is your go-to mixed drink? Uh, Probably a vodka Korean. What would your last meal be? Eggs. Eggs? Are you kidding? <laughs> what? Just eggs. I'm you're you're on death row. And they're like, okay, what do you want? And you're like, eggs. Well, how would you make them? Is it an omelet? Is are they fried? Are they boiled? Well, I would yeah, I'll do some scrambled eggs with some sesame seed oil and uh soy sauce. Okay. Alrighty. Um, should Pluto still be considered a planet? No, Pluto is a dwarf planet. Should places of worship, churches, synagogues, mosques, remain tax exempt? Of course. All right, that's your that those are your 10 questions. You got through them in a in a flash. Do you have any more final thoughts, things you want to say, get off your chest, anything you want to plug before we sign off? 
Yeah, I would just tell everybody to, you know, reach out to their local lawmakers. It's not that hard. Um, and email them. You know, they often don't hear from their constituents about the things that are, you know, important to them. So I would, I would definitely email your lawmakers. And if you're trying to find words to do it, download ChatGPT and craft the email and send it right to your lawmaker it's easier now more than ever you don't even have to just put a few words in there hey i'm concerned about my child's education and i want to email my lawmaker they'll write a letter for you it'll write a letter for you because one of the things that we underestimate is that our elected officials should be held accountable for what's happening in our schools they should hear from us and if we want something different we have to make that be known um so yeah and so real quick too before we before we sign off here black minds matter the website the main thing that parents can go to is th- for is the directory, right? That's the main resource if you're just a parent that Black Minds Matter offers you. Sure. If you're a parent, you could go and look at the Black-owned schools by state. You can filter by state and by school type on our uh, website. You can also go to the toolkit, and there are many different resources there on one how to choose the best school for your kid. If you're a parent that's looking for ways to get involved, there's some model legislation there. If you're looking to run for office, there's some model legislation on that toolkit. If you're looking to start a school, there's a draft business plan in the toolkit to help you get started with that um and 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 for anyone you can go on our website put your name um and sign up for our newsletter Mm -hmm. to uh to learn more about the different events that we're hosting and follow us on all social medias okay awesome well thank you so much we will include links and, and things to the to the toolkit to the website all that kind of stuff. I appreciate you coming on. Education is obviously so important and black minds do indeed matter. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Connie. You're listening to the Free Black Thought Podcast.